Hello, everyone, and welcome to Heads Up, the weekly webcast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel, migraine strategist, founder of the Facebook group Migraine Nation and chronic daily migraine survivor. We have a super exciting episode today. Our topic today is what we often refer to as low pressure headache. Um, It's also called cerebrospinal fluid or CSF leak or spontaneous intracranial hypotension. There are many people out there that have this that don't don't know they have, excuse me. It is often underdiagnosed. This is gonna be a very exciting episode. We're gonna do something we've never done before. We're gonna bring in two people to talk to. Um, we're going to talk about, we're going to start by talking to a neuroradiologist. We're going to talk about the important role the neuroradiologist plays in the diagnosis of this condition. So I am here with Dr. Andrew Callen, MD. Hello, Dr. Callen. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So Dr. Callen is a neuroradiologist. He is also an assistant professor at the University of Colorado Hospital. He is going to talk to us about how we diagnose this condition. It's very complicated to diagnose, actually. And later, one of Dr. Callen's patients is going to come in and talk to us about the patient perspective of having this condition and going through the diagnostic process and the treatment process also. So let's start out by asking asking Dr. Callen some questions. So first of all, um, Dr. Callen, can you just start out with maybe some simplistic things? Can you just explain to us a bit about what cerebrospinal fluid is and um, how a CSF leak occurs? Sure. So cerebrospinal fluid, commonly referred to as CSF, Mm -hmm. is a clear fluid that surrounds the brain and spinal cord kind of bathing it, and it's contained by a thick connective tissue layer called the dura. Mm -hmm. It has a number of roles. Um, It cushions the brain and spinal cord from injury, Mm -hmm. and it also serves as a waste kind of removal system and nutrient delivery system. It's continuously produced um, inside of of some structures in the brain and then reabsorbed by the bloodstream all throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when a patient is referred to you for a CSF leak workup, Um, Is it usually symptoms of low pressure headache that leads to them finding you? Yeah, so we have a a strong multidisciplinary team at our Mm -hmm. hospital that consists of neurologists that specialize in headache Mm -hmm. disorder and not just CSF leak, but other types. And so typically our patients will come referred through them. And, you know, one of the, the incredible challenges of CSF leak is that the symptoms can be very, very diverse. Right. But... Predominantly, they are characterized by what we call an orthostatic headache. And what we mean by that is a headache which is worse when someone is upright, either in Mm -hmm. a standing or sitting position, and gets Mm -hmm. better when they lay back down. The problem is that this, while this occurs in the majority of patients, it certainly doesn't occur in 100% of patients. And there are a number of other clinical symptoms that can overlap or take the place of this orthostatic headache that can be very misleading. So sometimes patients come to us after having a workup for something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, And it, you know, really only get to us, unfortunately, as the third or fourth, you know, provider they may have seen. Right. 
So I think this is a really important question. Can these symptoms change over time? So if someone has had this type of headache for years and years, does it change? For example, does the orthostatic component maybe go away and maybe it's not different when they stand up versus when they lay down? Definitely, there's evidence that over time, the pathophysiology of a CSF leak does change. Okay. So in the beginning, there is, there is, a, you know, a classic description of an orthostatic headache. Right. We've seen that people with long-standing leaks often will have normal or even high CSF opening pressure when we measure that pressure with a needle. Right. And also there's, there's imaging changes that occur over time where the imaging findings become less obvious. Okay. But in general, that orthostatic component does seem to persist and predominate as the major feature of this, of this syndrome, despite being short or long term. Okay. When, when a patient presents to you, do you think that they're usually aware they have low pressure headache or have they often been misdiagnosed with something else or just really don't even have a diagnosis? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I have to just mention that the, when I was in training, um, the case that got me very, very interested in this disease was an individual who had been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease with amyotrophic okay. lateral sclerosis. And it, it, you know, long story short, he did not have that devastating illness. Mm-hmm. He had a CSF leak um, on top of a cord injury that clinically mm-hmm. manifested in a very confusing way. That's a very extreme example, right. but it really opened my eyes to the fact, and I continue to be humbled in my practice about the wide variety of symptoms and how you really can't be so sure that someone does or doesn't have it just based on what, what they're experiencing. Now, I will say that I think that in my experience, a lot of patients' symptoms are written off because mm-hmm. they are, they seem to be vague or they, you know, they see, they, they don't fit into a nice little bin, or maybe they don't have that, that dominant orthostatic component. We try to keep a very, very open mind. I, I know right. that, you know, people tend to look up symptoms when they are experiencing a chronic headache and they may see things that they identify with of oh, this, you know, this could be me. I could have a CSF leak. And, you know, while that isn't the best way, right, we all know that searching on the internet isn't the best way to find your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, we, we have to trust the patient and trust right. their symptoms and, and, you know, use that as a starting place, not only to come to their diagnosis, which may or may not be a CSF leak, but just to establish trust in, in the workup and care for their headache long-term. Where is the pain usually located for this type of headache? You know, people describe it in various ways. Often it's described as a posterior headache. Um, but Which I've means back of head, correct? In the back of the head, correct. Right. Um, there's other patients who describe that there's a strong valsalva component. And by valsalva, I mean bearing down, like you're trying to have a bowel movement. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that kind of that raises our venous pressure um, by bearing down can often cause the headache. But in general, it's very, very challenging to to diagnose this headache just based on the character, the, the location characteristics. Right. Because there's so many overlapping features with other types of headaches. Is there anything you can say to us that would help a listener maybe differentiate it from from a, from chronic migraine? Sure. So that's that's one of the most challenging things we deal with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there there are certainly overlapping features. Both mm-hmm. of them are a headache. One of the most challenging things is when you ask somebody who suffers from migraine, "Do you feel better when you lay down?" Right. Well, you know that that you certainly could feel better. You know, a lot of people feel better by being in a, a room without bright lights and laying down and resting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some, some, some characteristic clinical features of migraine, such as an aura, um, mm-hmm. you know, and such as the, the you know, post-migraine recovery periods that can be helpful 
in differentiating one from the other. But really, we have to have some clinical suspicion that there is an orthostatic component that may not fit with migraine. Right. And then we have to, we have to turn to our, our diagnostic tools, both okay. non-invasive and invasive imaging tests. Okay. Since you brought that up, I'm curious, uh, I think our listeners are going to want to know when a low volume or low pressure type headache is suspected uh, by a headache specialist is a lumbar puncture, or our viewers may know it as they like to call it a spinal tap to measure the CSF pressure, usually the first diagnostic step that's needed. So in general, no. Okay. Um, there was a, a, a very good study that came out of Duke University that showed that, you know, over 60% of patients suffering from SIH, from CSF leak, actually had a normal or high opening pressure. So, mm-hmm. so starting with an opening pressure, particularly in somebody who maybe has an underlying undiagnosed connective tissue disease, maybe is prone to leak, you definitely don't want to start with an invasive option of introducing a hole in their dura for mm-hmm. the purposes of a diagnostic test and potentially giving them a new leak. So okay. we try to go from least invasive to most invasive and only put a needle inside someone's dura when we really believe that we are going to perform a diagnostic test to localize their and, and diagnose their type of leak and that the, the, the benefits outweigh the risks in that, in that situation. Okay. So I just want to clarify when Dr. Callen says SIH, that's short for spontaneous intracranial hypotension, which is again, what we refer to as the low pressure or the low volume. Um, And so what about people who might be listening who have had a lumbar puncture and have been told that their their pressure is fine? It's not within the diagnostic criteria to be a low pressure headache, yet they sort of are going along with these symptoms and are not diagnosed uh, what would you say to them? Does that does that automatic fact that they did not fit the diagnostic criteria with that lumbar bar puncture mean that they do not have this? So absolutely not. You know, when we so so thank you for clarifying the spontaneous intracranial hypotension terminology. Mm-hmm. A very important word in that is is spontaneous. So right. if we have a patient who's received a lumbar puncture, right. or maybe they maybe they had an epidural catheter placed for for example, labor and delivery or pain uh, medication management elsewhere. And then afterwards developed a headache with an orthostatic component. Mm-hmm. We believe, you know, we have a good reason to believe that there was a reason they had um, that they developed that headache. And we go straight to therapeutic options mm-hmm. such as epidural blood patching or, mm-hmm. and, or patching with fibrin glue in mm-hmm. those patients. It is in those patients who haven't been previously instrumented, and by instrumented, I mean with a needle or some sort of medical device, that we start with our MRI of their brain and spine to see if we can find secondary clues of what might be going on spontaneously to have caused the CSF leak. Okay. Can you quickly, so you said blood patch and fibrin glue. Can you quickly explain those uh, to our audience? Sure. Sure. So a blood patch, just as the name implies, is using blood, it's your own blood, mm-hmm. uh, to patch a hole in the dura. So mm-hmm. during the procedure, uh, you'll have an IV placed into a vein, mm-hmm. and blood will be drawn out of that IV, your own blood. Mm-hmm. And then the proceduralist, um, such as myself, will get access to the epidural space. And epidural mm-hmm. just means outside the dura. Mm-hmm. And we try to do it in the location where we think the leak is. Mm-hmm. And we put that blood, your own blood, into that space. And that blood covers that hole and can patch it up and does a very good job of patching up very, very small leaks. 
Okay. Sometimes if the leak is a little bit bigger or, or the blood patching doesn't work, or if, there, or if it's a certain kind of leak, which we may get to later, we will use something a bit stronger, which is fibrin glue. Mm-hmm. And this is reconstituted human fibrinogen and thrombin. Those are mm-hmm. components of our normal blood clotting, mm-hmm. um, but they're not your own blood. They're, they come in a package, we'll package. And we, and we inject that it's like a super clotting mixture right to where we think the leak is as well. Okay. There, are, there, there are benefits um, and downsides of both. And we kind of tailor the, the therapeutic options to the particular patient's case. Okay. So what is your role as the neuroradiologist in this process? So we have someone with, with suspicion of a low volume headache or SIH. Um, what is your role then? So my role is as a both diagnostic and procedural neuroradiologist is to, you know, the first time I'll meet my patient is, is not in person. It's through imaging. So mm-hmm. we have a specialized protocol for somebody who, in whom there is suspected SIH or CSF leak, mm-hmm. both brain and total spine protocol. So the first time I'll meet my patient is at the computer screen and I'll be very carefully reviewing all of their imaging mm-hmm. uh, to look for both features of, a, of, of the leak itself. For example, mm-hmm. I can sometimes see fluid leaving the spinal canal, okay. but also secondary features that there might be enough, not enough CSF inside the craniospinal compartment. These features can be very, very subtle, and they're often missed if you're not looking very particularly and specifically for them. So that's, that's my first rule. Once I suspect that there is a CSF leak, or at least that there is something to suggest that we should move forward, and I'll say that you know a, a majority of patients it seems we'll be able to find some evidence of a leak on that initial imaging, but some patients won't have positive initial imaging, right. even with a well-trained eye. So we really rely on their, the, their clinical features. After that, we'll move on to more invasive diagnostic testing, mm-hmm. which will include special kinds of myelograms. And a myelogram is, by, is simply putting dye inside the dura, mm-hmm. opacifying it, and seeing if we can find the leak. And when I use the word dynamic, I'm, I'm describing a special form of myelogram where we use provocative maneuvers, we'll position the patient in a specific manner, and image very, very fast, and with, again, some, some specific provocative maneuvers to find their leak, which may be very subtle or very small. Okay. Once we, once we find the leak, we can then move on to therapeutic options, which will often include targeted epidural blood patching or fiber and glue. Which we already spoke about. Which we, which we discussed. Right. If we find if we find a CSF venous fistula, which is one of the most challenging types of leaks to find, we will try that 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 injection of fibrin glue, you know, via the skin route percutaneously, mm-hmm. or we may try endovascularly going through the vein and and to occlude the fistula from the inside. Okay. And if these and if these options don't work, both for for bigger leaks, fistulas, etc., then we turn to our colleagues in in neurosurgery right. to repair those leaks via a surgical approach. Now, if you feel lost um, and you are on the webcast and you can see visually, we are going to give visuals of what these different situations are. So um, can you show some some slides now, uh, Dr. Callen, of what could potentially be wrong that could be causing the, the CSF leaks? Can you see my slide here? I can, we can see it. Great. So this is a this is a 35 year old gentleman who we treated who developed a new orthostatic headache. Mm-hmm. Brain imaging was very abnormal. That is to say, we saw his his brainstem, which is right here, mm-hmm. sagging, and we saw some other structures engorging. We saw the the dura looking a little bit 
too thick and the dural uh, venous structures looking a little bit too engorged and the pituitary gland looking a little bit engorged as well. So this when happens, did, can I interrupt you just sure, to yeah, help? Please. So that happens because the CSF fluid is low and so the brain sags down a bit. Am I correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. There's, a, there's an important, an important principle um, in, in brain science called the Monroe Kelly doctrine, mm-hmm. which states that at all times there is a fixed volume of brain, blood, and cerebrospinal fluid. So mm-hmm. if one of them goes down, something else has to compensate. And what we right. may see is the brain sagging or uh, becoming distorted in order to compensate. And we may see blood vessels engorging to compensate as well. And we rely on the features based on this doctrine to uh, inform our imaging search pattern. Okay. We move now to look at his, at this gentleman's spine, and we saw automatically that there is a large fluid collection. Now, this line that you see here that I'm tracing in the spinal canal mm-hmm. is the dura, and okay. it's over here as well. The patient is facing to our screen left here. This is the back of their head and mm-hmm. the front of their head here, and we're looking at the cervical, thoracic, and the thoracic spine here, and we see a large extradural fluid collection. Mm-hmm. And in our special um, CSF leak protocol, we see this fluid exiting and kind of pooling along the paraspinal soft tissues. Mm-hmm. When we see this, we say, okay, there's absolutely a big hole in the dura somewhere, mm-hmm. and we just have to figure out where it is. Okay, so now we so, know there's a leak. We just have to find it. Exactly. When we see okay. this type of, of imaging up front, you know, I get very excited because I, I know that we're going to be able to help this patient. It's just a matter of of localizing the leak and, and moving forward. Okay. They, um, and in order to do that, we perform a very certain uh, specific flavor of, of dynamic myelography. We know that the fluid collection, when, when these fluid collections are present in general, they're related to a hole in the front of the dura, right. usually alongside the spine where there might be a little bony spicule or some degenerative change that might tear a hole in the dura. Okay. So we put the patient, we put the patient face down and okay. we, in order to have gravity help us layer along that front part of the spinal canal, and we raise the patient's hips up using a special device mm-hmm. and take very early imaging as contrast moves down the spinal canal. Right. And in this case, we were able to see that the contrast is moving down the spinal canal in the normal inside the dural sac. And then at this point here, it transitions from being inside the dural sac to outside into the epidural space. Right. When we look at, at, a, at a CT scan, an older CT scan for this gentleman, we do see that there's a little bony spicule right here where next to a disc that is probably the culprit that caused this hole. Okay, so now that we, is, yeah. what is that called when there's a bony protrusion? So, it, so we, we call it, you know, it has, there's different forms of this, but in general, an osteophyte. Okay. Um, it, just, it just means a little bit of uh, calcified disc material or degenerative okay. change that can be a little sharp, almost like a little spike that can that can tear a hole in that dural lining. Okay, so there's something that tore a hole in the dural lining and that's likely causing this leak. Exactly. Okay. So now we, and now we know, we think it's at this level in particular, so we tried to treat it. Okay. So we, we tried to, to avoid big surgical options for this patient. Mm-hmm. We did some blood patching. So here is our needle coming in from, from the back. The patient and this is, is again, face, sorry, face sorry, sorry, Dr. Yeah, Colin. No, again, no, using no, the patient's own blood to Correct. try and 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 clot or fix this hole using the patient's own blood. So go ahead, Dr. Callan. Exactly, exactly. Thank you. This is the this is the using the patient's own blood. Um, and we come in from the behind, getting into that epidural space and try to coat the entire fecal sac as much as possible. And fecal sac is just another word for that dura, the dural sac containing the, the CSFN spinal cord. 
Mm-hmm. But you can auto- automatically see that there's a problem here and that the blood is coating, it's this white material here along the, po- the posterior and lateral, meaning the back and the sides of the spinal sac, but it's not right. really getting in front, which is where we think the leak is. It was oh, rubbing against okay. that osteophyte. Okay. So he didn't get much relief from this, only a oh, little okay. bit. So we tried to be a bit more creative. So we tried to get in front using the fiber and glue, a stronger, but, but a little bit more, right. uh, more localized treatment. And in this case, we used a very, very long needle and tried and went through the patient's shoulder. Here, this is a patient lying on his back. This is his, the head of his, of his humerus, the big bone in your arm. That's, that's this his, is his arm, and, right. His shoulder joint, right? Mm-hmm. We're going through the muscle in the shoulder using a very, very long needle to try to get to that ventral epidural space, that space in front. And we did successfully, and he had some relief, but not, it was not permanent. His symptoms came back um, fairly, fairly rapidly. So we referred him to, for surgical treatment, because at this point we said, I don't think there's anything that we can do any, any more that's, that's minimally invasive. So I and think this so, is important. If you don't mind me pausing, I yeah. think for the audience, cause there's so many patients in our audience, this is an important point. Cause I run into so many people that have had suspicion of leaks and have been through a long process. This, this can be a serious process. Even usually the process of even finding the leak is just absolutely humongous for people. Absolutely, but there can be a couple procedures after the leak is found. So I, I just don't want people to feel frustrated if if there's people that are going through this process. I, I hope that this is um, this makes them feel better. They're not the only ones. So, anyways, go ahead. Yeah, you know that, that's that's a great point, and it's something I mm-hmm. tell all my patients when I first meet them is mm-hmm. that you know this isn't going to probably be the last you see of me. Even right. if we find your leak right away, even if we treat it right away, there may be issues after we treat it that we, we could talk about. Um, but yeah, that's a great point. So, right. and again, just to close it off with this patient, he was um, taken to surgery by Dr. Voucher-Shivink at Cedars-Sinai, who's one of the, if not the well, world's expert on this condition, who mm-hmm. found a very large hole in the dura wow. here that I'm outlining okay. here. And you could imagine that this big hole isn't something that blood would, would seal up adequately. This needed right. to be surgically repaired. And this was done so, and you could see on the preoperative imaging, we have this big fluid collection accumulating, and on the postoperative imaging, that's gone away, and the patient's symptoms went away as well. So this was a very satisfying case, but mm-hmm. it's unfortunately not the most common type of case we see. Um, you know, those patients will generally, they might go to blood patch. Sometimes they'll get better after a blood patch. We, see, we, t- we, might, we tend to see patients that have a little bit more of a complicated and long-standing um, history, and, and right. one of them where... You know, this is a a 43-year-old woman who developed an orthostatic headache as well. And her MRI was read as as normal out in the the community that this did not have contrast on board, which limits our evaluation a little bit. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, this is definitely not a normal MRI. Mm -hmm. It's subtle, but her brainstem is sagging a little bit. There is this interval interval right here is narrowed. Her pons, this is a part of her brainstem, is abnormally flattened. So we looked at this MRI and said, this looks like a, this looks like a leak patient. Mm-hmm. So he, we took her for a number of, of diagnostic tests and it wasn't until we performed uh, dynamic myelography in the, in the, with the patient positioned on her side, mm-hmm. we, we raised her pressure using sterile saline to try to provoke the leak and then imaged it in a delayed fashion using MRI that we were able to see this fluid leaking out of the perineural cyst. That is this structure right here, which is a weak point in Madura. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have them. In fact, most people do. It's not in and of itself abnormal, but does present a weak point for a leak to potentially occur. 
And it wasn't until we did this very specialized imaging, and this was her second day of diagnostic testing, that we were able to say, aha, there, there is fluid leaking out abnormally. And as we move, this is, these are sequential images moving from the midline out, out away from midline, showing this bright fluid weeping along the rib, in, in between the spaces, in between the ribs there. And we were able to then target that, that leak with a specific targeted treatment. Here's our needle coming in to get to that perineural cyst. And we're using fiber and glue to target that cyst and seal that leak. And she is doing fantastic now. Okay. Uh, but, it, but this was another patient who had a long course. You know, in the beginning, it wasn't, nobody was convinced it was a leak. Her first diagnostic studies were negative, And it wasn't until this kind of final line that we were able to find it. Right. So I do think that's important. Again, if someone who thought based on first testing that every was told there was nothing that was found. Um, so I think that that's an important point from a patient perspective. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, and then finally, just one other example. Um, so this is a gentleman who, who had a longstanding orthostatic headache, but as we alluded to earlier, as time went on, it was other symptoms that seemed to, to predominate for him, kind of a brain fog, a forgetfulness, mm -hmm. a, you know, a, he had sometimes a ringing in his ears. He, he, you know, some, and some hearing issues as well. Mm -hmm. He had a brain MRI, which was read as normal. And, and I, I would, for the most part, agree with the exception of the fact that he had a little bit, his dura looked a little bit too thick on this axial. And by axial, we mean we're cutting through the, the head, looking through the head in sort of a perpendicular way, looking okay. down at the head. It's like, um, it, right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, this is a borderline finding, but it's but combined with his symptoms, th this dural thickening is enough for us to think this could be, this, there could be a leak going on somewhere. He had had a okay. number of tests at other hospitals, including a normal CT myelogram, meaning they just put dye inside the spinal canal, kind of had him roll around a couple of times, and then 30 minutes to an hour later, just did a CT scan. And that showed no evidence of a leak. Mm -hmm. But when we, when we performed specialized dynamic myelography with him laying on his side, raising the pressure inside the spinal canal, and right. having a couple of, of maneuvers to get early phase imaging, we saw that there was an abnormal vein. That's what I'm outlining here and what oh, the red arrow okay. is pointing to, draining out some of this CSF into a vein. And this is known as a CSF venous fistula. And fistula just means connection, usually an abnormal connection. So it always. means that the CSF is draining into a vein. It's not supposed to. Exactly. Okay. And, it's, and, and it's not the other kinds of leak where it's a hole in the dura or a weakness in the perineural cyst where that mm -hmm. fluid is getting out. It's actually just getting directly into a vein. Okay. And we were, and, and we're only able to see that with this specialized myelography, the image that I showed you previously, this, this conventional myelogram is at the exact same level um, of where this, this vein is, and we can't see it at all. So you could imagine a patient going to a uh, performing dynamic myelography and has what they believe is a pretty extensive workup. They got uh, lots of imaging. They were poked and, and, and imaged, you know, a number of times and told they had a negative workup. But in, right. if you're, unless you're getting that really specific testing, you might not find your leak. Again, this can be a very frustrating process um, for patients. Um, and so can you back up? Just let me let, tell the audience as a neuroradiologist what training you have in addition to um, a radiologist without that specialty. Sure. So, um, to, you know, so I'm a, I'm, I did, you do medical school, four years mm -hmm. of medical school, and then we do a residency and I did a residency in diagnostic radiology mm -hmm. um, and as well as an internship. So that's five addi additional years of postgraduate training. And then we do a, a clinical fellowship in neuroradiology. 
Okay. And depending on, depending on where you are and where you do your training, you may have uh, some degree of practice and experience with interventional uh, uh, neuroradiology. Okay. And that means doing procedures in addition to doing diagnostic testing. Okay. Now, this, is diff- this is different from a vascular interventional neurodiologist right. who treats stroke, stroke. Uh, blood clots, things inside blood vessels. Right. But uh, non-vascular, non-endovascular neuroradiologists who do procedures will do a lot of procedures for pain. Um, will do will you know CSF leak workup, for example, uh, a, a wide a wide variety of things. And that's the category that I fall into is okay. Is an, inter- is, is an interventionalist, but a non-endovascular interventionalist. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. Yeah, no, no worries. So just finally, I'm just showing how we eventually treated this gentleman's fistula. So uh, we tried to percutaneously, meaning through the skin, uh, mm-hmm. inject the fistula with fiber and glue, which has been shown to work very well. And we had a good result with this, but it, from an imaging perspective, but the patient didn't feel a whole lot better after that procedure. So then we moved on to uh, endovascular within the vessel occlusion. And one of my colleagues in, in interventional radiology um, did this. And so he, he went through the veins from the, the, vein. from the inside of the body mm-hmm. through a little incision in the neck. Um, and here we are going through the veins and coming down into the veins that are next to the spine, finding that exact vein that's abnormally draining that cerebrospinal fluid, and then injecting a special glue material into that vein. And okay. the results were, were remarkable for this gentleman. Oh, within, yes. an hour, within an hour after the procedure, he had a new headache that he had never had before. It was a high pressure headache a rebound headache. And mm-hmm. then within just two to three days after the procedure, almost all of his symptoms were nearly gone. So this was incredibly satisfying, but, but this gentleman had been down a road that was several years long and okay. had a number of therapies that, that didn't work for him. So, right. you know, for him, it was, it was a long, long process. So right. those are just a couple, a couple examples of, of one of each sort of major types of leaks that we deal with on a routine basis. The, this is going to be interesting for patients who have had a lot of imaging for spontaneous intracranial hypotension or low pressure headache and still feel that maybe they have a leak, but it's never been found. This is the type of algorithm that a neuroradiologist such as Dr. Callan goes through when he's looking for the leak. Yeah. So again, when we start with, with clinical suspicion for SIH, the top box in pink there, meaning that either the patient or a doctor or a provider they've seen believes that they might have a leak. We start with our non-invasive imaging of the, of the total neural axis, the brain and spine, using a specialized protocol uh, mm-hmm. to look for a leak. And so it's not just, you know, oh, I've had a, I, I had an MRI of my spine at a different hospital. Will that do? You know, if, if right. for some reason there's insurance reasons that we can't get another uh, specific protocol for the spine, then we'll make it work. But we have a, we have a very dedicated sequence for this particular right. question that, that is the best for that. And then depending on what we see, we'll move forward fashion to, to, to find the leak. And that if we see, uh, you can see on the far left here, if we see an extra dural collection, like in our first patient, we will move right to that. Now, what that myeloma. means, sorry, let me, can yeah. you explain extra dural collection really sure. quick? Sure. So it's fluid outside of the dural sac, the dural okay. lining, extra dural. So, you know, fluid where it's not supposed to be. Right. And if we okay. find that, then we know that there's a hole somewhere in the dura, right? Yep. And that hole in general will be kind of in the front, usually next to one of those osteophytes, those bony spicules that right. we talked talked about. So if we see that, we, we will move right to dynamic myelography to find that hole and repair that hole by using empiric blood patching, fibrin glue. And if those are, if those fail, we will move to surgical repair of that. Great. Um, okay. if, if on the next column over, 
We might see brain findings of a, of a leak, like we talked about, and they can be very subtle. Like and the sagging, et cetera. Normal. Yes, the yeah, sagging, okay. engorgement of the, of the vasculature, sometimes some chronic bleeding can occur okay. as well. Okay. Um, that, but, but, if we, but if the spine looks normal and there's no fluid accumulating anywhere, then we get very, very suspicious that there may be a fistula, a CSF venous fistula. Okay, and that's where, possible. as we spoke, the CSF is basically leaking into a vein that it's not supposed to. It's draining through a vein. Exactly. We, we suspect that. It's also possible in these patients that they may have a very slowly leaking cyst, perineural cyst, that mm-hmm. might not be leaking so fast that we can see a big collection on initial imaging, but might be leaking very slowly. So we take these patients to a, a specific kind of dynamic myelography where they're on their side and, and we raise their pressure, we do some provocative maneuvers, and we take them to find, uh, to find their cyst, uh, to find their leaking fistula or cyst. Excuse me, and we may add delayed MRI myelography on as well if we if we are unsuccessful at finding a fistula or leak on their first pass imaging. Okay. And once we find that either leaking cyst or fistula, we will repair it um, either through percutaneous through the skin injections or if needed, uh, more complex techniques. Okay. If we find that leaking cyst on our first line imaging, that's great. That means the patient can basically avoid a myelogram altogether and we can go straight to treatment. Mm-hmm. And we'll do so by using a needle and using, using fiber and glue at the site of that cyst. Mm-hmm. The most challenging group um, is, the, is the one on the far right here, where basically they're quote unquote imaging negative. Right. And, but you know, if, we, if we have a high enough suspicion that they have SIH, if, 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 the, if the clinician or just through our discussions with the patient believe that it's there, we will take them to dynamic myelography, nonetheless, to try to see if we can find a fistula. And we found fistulas in people who are imaging negative. And even with well-trained eyes, you know, you couldn't call high probability of leak based on the initial brain imaging, at least by criteria that we have currently. So we will then, you know, move to find a fistula. If we do, do not find one, we will try and peer treatment. We'll, we'll just say, hey, you know, what if we gave you a large volume epidural blood patch? What if we, you know, you have, you have some funny looking cysts. We can't prove that there's a leak necessarily. What if we put fibrin glue um, on these cysts as well? This, you know, this is, a, this is something that, that a number of, of people throughout the, the country and the world do. Uh, Dr. Ian Carroll over at Stanford is one of the most well-known um, um, providers who, who is very successful at treating patients, even though, even without being able to demonstrate a specific leak per se, but, but right. by using secondary cues, like the presence of degenerative disease, abnormal cysts, and treating their treating their cysts um, with with high suspicion or parts of their dura with high suspicion, mm-hmm. and he has incredible success with that. So some okay. people might argue we should start with that impure treatment more upfront. And certainly, if patients are miserable and really suffering, or right. they just say I don't I don't want to go through all this, um, you know, we we will offer that to them as well. Well, let's just get you an impure treatment. Maybe you'll start feeling better, and maybe then we can talk about diagnostic treatments down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, so it's a little bit, you know, it may, this makes it seem like it's very straightforward. We customize this to every patient and it really okay. is important to have a conversation with the patient to see where they're at. But in general, this is, this is how we, we think about it. Okay. Let's invite, um, Ms. Smith in, which is, who is one of your patients really quickly. What is a myelogram now that we've said it so many times, I don't think we explained exactly are, are they, what are they injecting in the pa- What, what does the patient go through? Sure. Yeah. So. The myelogram starts like a normal lumbar puncture, okay. meaning that there, a spinal needle is used. We'll mm-hmm. use a special kind of spinal needle that's associated with, with less leaks, but th- that's an aside. 
And right. you'll get into, you'll puncture the dura, okay. get into that space where the CSF is, and mm-hmm. we'll inject dye. We'll inject okay. dye in, through the needle um, in the back, and that dye will go inside the fecal sac and opacify that that dura, the you know the dural sac, and and go throughout the spine. And if, depending on if you image very quickly or if you wait a long time to image, the pictures will look very different. Okay. So so that's how, that's where we differentiate between sort of conventional and dynamic myeloscopy. Okay. All right. Well, let's bring in uh, Ms. Carol Smith. She, this is a patient of Dr. Callens. Um, she should be joining now. So everyone, this is Ms. Carol Smith. Carol is a patient of Dr. Callens, and we have brought her on. She is nice enough to come on to give the patient perspective of this story, uh, what it's like to live um, with uh, low pressure, low volume headache, and go through the diagnosis process and go through the treatment process. So, um, Carol, can you start by telling us what your symptoms and your life was like before, uh, you met Dr. Callen before you were really correctly diagnosed, et cetera? Sure. Um, I had headaches, the back of my neck, right here at the base, mm-hmm. um, 24 seven. My mm-hmm. husband said, nobody has headaches 24 seven. I said, I do. Yeah. Um, I had that. I had nausea and so, um, pain in my jaw. So I had gone to a ears, nose and throat for my jaw. That didn't fix it. Mm-hmm. The gastrologist for the puking, um, He's asked me, how often do you puke? And I said, every time I wash my hair. And he said, that's not possible. Well, it ends up being every time because my shampoo was in the shower on the floor. So it seems like every time I bent down and stood back up, it'd make me sick to my stomach because my head hurts so bad. Right. That's um, the orthostatic component of yep. what you had. Right. Go ahead. Right. Sorry to interrupt. It's Okay. And then I had ringing in my ears. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I was starting to get a right hand shake. Okay. Um, and then what, what did you go through in the diagnosis process before uh, you, were, you found Dr. Callen? What, um, what kind I went, of I went diagnosis? to several doctors and mm-hmm. they just kept throwing stuff at me, a CPAP machine and all this other. And I finally asked, hey, can I get a referral to a neurologist? Right. So I went to the neurologist and he did the MRI and mm-hmm. he called me and he said, Hey, your brain's sagging. You're, you're mm-hmm. leaking fluid. Mm-hmm. And so from there he did a full bad, uh, body scan, but he could not find the leak. Right. So that's when he referred me to UC health. Dr. Callen, why are a lot of people with this condition, even if it, if Carol wasn't a lot of people with this condition do end up with a diagnosis of Chiari malformation. Why is that? Yeah, it's, it's a really important point. And, you know, the, the, the Chiari malformation is one where the skull is too small, the back of the skull is too small for those contents in the back of the brain. Right. And so the, they're getting kind of squished out of the bottom of the skull. Mm-hmm. And it can look very similar to when a brain is sagging in the case of a CSF leak right. or fistula. And the, really the most characteristic thing is seeing the cerebellar tonsil, which is the very bottom part of the back part of the brain, right. kind of herniating through that, uh, the bottom of the skull. And so sometimes when people see that, they say, oh, that's a Chiari malformation. You have a headache right. and you have 
part of your brain where it's not supposed to be, that's a Chiari malformation. And um, whether it was told to her initially or not, the first time I met Carol was looking at a brain scan of hers where it said Chiari malformation scheduled for surgery. Mm -hmm. And when we looked at this, at this scan, we said, this is not a Chiari malformation. This patient has a a CSF leak. And that, that's really where I, I I met Carol, you know, like Mm -hmm. we discussed first through, through her imaging. Um, And that was kind of where we, we started down on that path together. Carol, before you came on, we were sort of joking how Dr. Callen only meets his patients at first by looking at their scans. And then we were looking at this, what we're talking about, how Uh the brain sags a little bit when there's low CSF and that that's often misdiagnosed as a Chiari malformation. So um, that's why we jumped to that um, that question. We thought that the audience would be interested. So, um, so... So did you go through a number of misdiagnoses and, and, and things like that? Did you have to go through that process before you ran into Dr. Callen? No. Well, just for the fact that my neurologist said that I had a, I was leaking fluid somewhere. Okay. He didn't know exactly, you know, okay. what it was, but I hadn't had headaches. So when I met Dr. Callen, it'd probably been two and a half years that I'd been having headaches. Two and a half years of 24 seven headaches something yeah for years right i just had developed this issue carol fell into the category of patients for whom we saw imaging evidence of a leak in her brain mri but her spine mri her non-invasive spinal imaging did not show a fluid collection so we were very very suspicious that she had a csf venous fistula and in her case i was so you know when we first met i said you know this is this might be a long road you might have to have several of these before we, we find it. And indeed, that was the case. I believe it was three or four myelograms we had before we found the fistula um, in her. Is that true? And then, yeah, because yeah. there was three or four blood, well, maybe even four or five blood patches. Oh, right. wow. Okay. We tried a combination of, you know, maybe that we can't find anything on the myelograms. Let's just give you a blood patch to see if that helps. I feel like that didn't help you very much, or if at all, did it, Carol? No, the blood patches, yeah. if they did, they were just a few few days. Okay. And then we did the fiber and glue. We tried fiber. And then once, once we found the fistula, we tried fiber and glue. Um, I I was very excited when we found the fistula. Carol was actually the first fistula that we had found at the university of Colorado. um, And everyone remember that starting there. Sorry, Dr. Kelly, that that means that this, the CSF was leaking into a vein where it wasn't supposed to. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once we had found it, we tried to treat it. And we tried that via first trying to put a needle through the skin and inject that fistula with fiber and glue. And after a couple attempts of that, I believe, Carol, you had a, a couple of months of feeling a lot better, right? Well, it was just, a, it was lasted about, oh, about two weeks, but it would take us a while to get everything scheduled. So when it worked the first time, we thought, okay, we're going to do it again. Maybe it'll last longer. And we did it a second time. And it, again, it was about two weeks. Two weeks. And, but we were so convinced by your, uh, by how much better she got after the, those two weeks, especially given the fact that she hadn't felt better after her blood patching at all, that we felt that this fistula was there based right. on our imaging and based on, you know, and it was causing her symptoms. And so we, uh, we ended up sending, she went to the surgery and one of our neurosurgeons okay. went in and uh, ligated, meaning tied off the, yeah. the vein there. Right. And, and how are you feeling now, Carol? Wonderful. There was no headache once I left the hospital. I mean, I still have occasional ringing in the ears. 
And once in a while, my right hand would shake, but I've been this way for four years and it's not even three months after surgery yet. So I continue to get better, but I no longer instantly had the headaches. Did you experience, um, we did bring this up earlier in the episodes, a lot of people who have the low pressure headache and then they get better. They have a rebound, high pressure headache afterwards. Yeah. And maybe even every once in a while, is that something you've experienced? Yes, I still, yeah. I still okay. get, seem to get a high pressure every once in a while. It doesn't last very long, but right. you know, I stand up too fast or something and I kind of get a little bit of a headache, but it, it dissipates quite quickly. So but this ability to find the leak and get it fixed, was this life-changing for you? Oh, yes. Yes. I have no idea how somebody would live with a headache for 24-7 every day. I mean, it's just the things that even memory-wise that Mm -hmm. happened in those four years, Oh yeah, a lot of stuff I don't remember. They tell Mm -hmm. me I did it with them and I'm like, I have no clue because I came home, I sat in my chair and I fell asleep. I got up and I went to work for the few hours I went to work. I came back home and I slept in my chair. So mm-hmm. no life for anybody. Mm-hmm. So you were, was it, was it, was it two years after you, your headache appeared that you were sent to UC health and then a couple, like how many years altogether from the appearance of your headache until you got better? So it's about two and a half years before I went to UC Health Okay. and I was diagnosed on a Christmas. It would have been two years ago this Christmas, I think. Okay. And so it's been four years since the start. Almost five years total. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, is there anything that either of you would like to add on this topic before we end our episode today? The only thing I'd like to say is if you, when you go to the doctor, take somebody with you. Just for the fact that of the memory loss that I had that I don't remember having, if I wouldn't have had my husband there with me, then, you know, there's stuff I wouldn't remember. So that is key when you have these headaches so that somebody else can be there. So they remember it for you. Right. It is. uh, uh, I understand that entirely. As someone who had a daily headache from the time I was a toddler till I was 30 years old. Yes. (laughs) Bring someone with you. That's great advice. Great advice. Would you like to say anything, Dr. Callen? Yeah, I just, I I think that it's, I told Carol this, but I think it's so important that she shares her story and that, Mm. you know, we hear this from the patient's perspective. You know, I Mm -hmm. could go on all day about the science of it, the anatomy, et cetera. But really at the end of the day, she's the one that lived with it and Mm -hmm. um, knows what it was like to to deal with it. And there's probably people out there, you know, we talked about who are living with this, who it isn't even something they're thinking about or, it isn't something that they have thought to talk to their doctor about. So exactly. Um, thank you. Thank you, Carol, for, for sharing your story. And well, I just think it's very, very important. If it helps one person, it was worth it. Exactly. Well, thank you to both of you for being here. Um, this was a wonderful episode and I hope it helps people. And thank you so much to our listeners for listening. And please tune in again next week to Heads Up, the weekly webcast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation.